0: You're good to go? Definitely. Excellent. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talk to Danielle podcast. I am your host, Danielle C. Baker. And before we get started today, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe to whichever channel you're listening to or watching from. So today, as you all know, because I always start off with this, I have an amazing guest coming on. I have Matt Petzl. That's a wonderful Wonderful person that works, uh, I would say, is uh, kind of a trailblazer in leadership. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he calls himself the godfather of leadership. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what it is. I just love his energy. So I'll just jump right in and introduce him. Mr. Matt Petzl is on. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I really appreciate it.
0: That's good. Now, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's been a long and strange trip, as they like to say sometimes. I have a <laughs> non traditional background. My first real adult job came courtesy of the United States Marine Corps. So I had military <laughs> service, and I remember it's hard to forget that first day. But uh, the first thing they did was shave my head. And the second thing they did was they jammed a book in my hands that had it was full of leadership traits. And they're like, this is how we expect Marines to behave. And from the time that you're a private all the way up to, you know, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, you you are a leader. And I was like, okay, this is happening. It's <laughs> always so, right. a... Yeah, I did 6 years in the Marines and and really enjoyed going in. I was proud to serve, but at the same time I enjoyed getting out. I was ready to <laughs> switch over to civilian life and I looked and I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to be a 27-year-old freshman in college. That's not going to be <laughs> that's not good. I have to catch up on life." So during the last year of my enlistment, I have studied as hard as I could for uh, different uh, classes in college and I got my undergraduate degree the same month that I got out. So I was able to go to Business school, right after military service. So for two years, I was in a full time program and got to study leadership and and uh, systems thinking and and uh, innovation and all these great things. And then I was ready for my first real civilian job, as a uh, very very exciting. And I joined a small software startup, and that's kind of the beginning of of my experience in the business world. And so for the last twenty five years, I've been growing in the ranks and learning about leadership and managing more complex teams and, and all kinds of stuff and just fell in love with coaching and leadership along the way.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's a that's a really nice story. You've been busy. You've been, been very busy. busy. I stay <laughs> yeah. busy. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned 25 years in the business, uh, you've you've seen um, how leadership changes. So how would you say that your style of leadership has changed going from the Marine Corps to right up into civilian world over the that span of 25 years.
1: Yeah, I've had a chance to reflect on it. And, and surprisingly, it's gotten simpler. And I don't mean that it's gotten easier for me. I'm just saying I've simplified my leadership style pretty dramatically. I think I went through this phase when I was young and insecure as a leader, like a first time manager. And I wanted to do really well, you know, for my, the people that were in my charge. And, and I started to study a lot. I really dedicated myself to studying the craft and I could just consume books on tape at the time. I would have had a trunk full of audio books and uh, really just, it was a sponge, which was great. But all that accumulation also kind of made things convoluted for me because I would I would try to pack in all this stuff into my leadership. And over the years, I've kind of gone through this winnowing process of taking away things and simplifying down. So there's been this interesting relationship where my leadership approach has gotten simpler and simpler, although Mm -hmm. the conditions around all of us has gotten more and more complex, but it actually is more effective to simplify down as opposed to try to match complexity for complexity.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. right. And I, uh, I appreciate the fact that you mentioned that as a new leader, uh, we tend to just go all in because we want to show our abilities and, and we're coming in with fresh ideas. And sometimes you can get lost in, in the theory of it. And so simplifying is, is very, very good. Uh, you do mention, and we'll talk about your book a little bit later on, but you uh, when you're kind of describing what is in your book, you talk about how we have a new world of work now. <laughs> And now more than ever, we need to change. We, had, we need new leadership. So can you explain a little bit why, uh, according to your experience, why it's so important now that we change the way that we look at leadership?
1: Yeah, when I thought about it, I started break everything that you see in the world of work can be broken down into three components. And that's basically what's the work to be done, who's doing the work, and who's leading the charge every time so you mentioned earlier as the godfather of talent optimization this this fun uh, term <laughs> that i have i get to work with organizations of all shapes and sizes with people matters and it's either our people you know are in good shape we want them to be great or you know we have some some challenges we need to work through no matter what level of organization we're talking about no matter what the issue is it always comes down to one of those three things what's the work to be done who's doing the work and who's leading the charge well when i looked at the changes the evolution that we've seen What's the work to be done? Boy, that has changed dramatically. So even 10 years ago, we did not work the way we do today with all of the nature of remote and distributed and hybrid style work, the nature of of complex team situations, collaboration off the charts. It's almost unrecognizable in, in many industries and even in seemingly blue collar or more traditional like manufacturing space, et cetera highly digitized everything is changing and and uh, we can't fill jobs fast enough for certain skill types so the work has absolutely changed dramatically even into the last 10 years when you think about who's doing the work that has really changed too and what i really saw was that during the pandemic people went through this tremendous reprioritization of their values what's what's most important to me in my life and family and friends and feeling secure and safe and these things and the role of work changed fundamentally People stopped saying necessarily, like, why do I work at this job? They were asking themselves, why do I work at all? Like, what do I want work to be in my life? And they went through this tremendous and are still going through this tremendous upheaval about reconciling why we work and, and how is it, you know, powering a lifestyle that we want? Or it, it really led to these dramatic, profound experiential and existential changes that we went through. Mm-hmm. Then it brings us to who's leading the charge leadership approaches have not changed and they have not kept up with the dramatic changes we just described when it comes to the work and the worker. So that led me to sit down and say, what do we have to do differently to approach everything that has
0: evolved? Mm-hmm. That's an, yeah, that's a very good point, especially with the leadership side of things where, uh, yeah, that part seemed to not have, Kept up with with everything else that's changed. So it's important to to bring that subject up and to talk about it. Um, Something that you might actually
1: you you might enjoy this one too, Danielle. So like I put a fine point on it when I think about the worker. And I I mentioned these existential and experiential needs that we have. And what I found is that people today, more than ever, and and I look to Gen Z, I love where Gen Z is leading us. I look to late stage millennials, they've been more vocal about it than ever and i feel like it really broke down into what i call the three b's that i call them being belonging and something bigger than myself this is what workers want they want to be able to show up fully as themselves at work without hesitation they want to have social ties with one another their co-workers and they want to be a part of something that has purpose and meaning for them in their lives ideally work would check all three of these boxes and in fact, I actually call it the three B's, the three killer B's, because when those needs don't get met, it kills our productivity and our performance and our happiness and our intent to stay. That's why I believe it's so critical for leadership to evolve, because we have to meet the needs, the new needs of our workers in this new world of work.
0: Yeah. And to, to keep everybody, like you said, just keep them motivated to keep going, because now... Um, they're just like, well, if this doesn't suit me, I'll go elsewhere. So I think it's a, yes. it's a good point. People and really to need prevent to
1: prevent them from suffering. This is the yeah. thing that I see. I look around and what led me to get my PhD in psychology and to study coaching and leadership at the highest levels was because I saw people in pain. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, with everything we know about how organizations work and human psychology, why are we sending people into work to have bad days? And, and you have a boss who has some offhanded comment or, or acts unskillfully with their team, and all of a sudden the team is frustrated, and then they go home and they take that bad work experience home with them, and it's enough, enough of yeah. all this stuff. And so that's what really motivated me to go on this next phase of my own journey.
0: No, that's amazing. That actually leads me into the question that I had about that. If there was a defining moment in your career, in your life, where you are just like, this is this is what I need to do. This is where I need to be. Is there yeah. one particular instance or a yeah, series it, that, that snowballed into it? There's a few that I really
1: remember very vividly. And one was before I even began my PhD, this is going back many, many years. I was going to, uh, I was on a plane. I was going to go out into the field and work with some of our salespeople. And I was at the, airport bookstore and I bought a book. I remember to this day, it's called Masters of Success. It was all self-improvement type stuff. And I was sitting on the plane ready to take off. And I had the book in my lap and I was just so excited to be able to read this hundredth book of mine on on self-development or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if this would be my life? What if my job would be helping people break through barriers and achieve great things? I was like, could that even be possible? Oh my gosh. So that's what led me to get my PhD in psychology and think about like how I could actually uh build tools and 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 ways to help people in that in that regard. But it was something even more personal later on that led me on my most recent journey. And that was going through that pandemic. Like I said, I hit a wall. Man, Danielle, I hit a wall like you read about. And I was just like, who am I? Like, what is going on here? I did not feel like I was showing up as a leader that I wanted to be with my teams. And I went through the same reprioritization everyone else did. And it caused me to reflect on that and say, something's changed here. And I have to, you know, take a proactive role, take some accountability here and kind of reinvent myself in order to, uh, you know, show up the way I want to for my, for my people and to enjoy the kind of success and happiness that is, is real, not, not uh, what we had been sold yeah. you know before.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's amazing! Yeah, those are many people went through that. I think in the last three years, where it's just you had to kind of re-question everything. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, can you share with us with the the, the approach that you have uh, in the changing leadership? Uh, can you share with us some transformations transformations that you've seen with the people that you worked with and the results that it gave them?
1: Yeah, you know, when I was experiencing the the challenges that I had during the pandemic, it, it really came at a time that was was challenging for me in, in two ways. One is that I was going through my own you know, BS when it comes to trying to figure out my values. It's not BS, but it's like, it, it's, it's a lot, you know, you sit with yourself and you're like, I'm not happy. And how am I going to fix this? Uh, but at the same time, my father got a call from his oncologist that he had a, 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 a cancerous tumor on his kidney. And he had went through a, a surgery and a lengthy recovery and all these things. And it really brought home to me you know, this question of our own mortality. And I thought, man, we know how this movie ends. So I was struggling in my professional life and then, you know, working with my father and and learning about the situation of his. It led me back to something I hadn't looked at for a long, long time, which was this concept of meditation. And there was a a book I pulled off the shelf. I remember it's like blow the dust off of it. It's 15 years old. And it was called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And it said basically... You know we're all going to die, and I'm like, well, that's that's true. And it says, yeah. but when that time comes, in order to die well, we first have to learn how to live well. And I thought, uh-oh, that is not where I am today. So I resumed this meditation practice, and I'm terrible at meditation. So I think about work all the time. So I'm sitting there, and there's this practice that they have that uh, they recommend, where you basically are wishing well for others, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and wishing they'd be happy, and and basically you start with yourself. And you know you give yourself that grace, and then you move out to others, and then like your your close family members, maybe, and, and your kids or whatever, and then you move out to maybe coworkers, and then out to strangers, and then out into the entire universe, as as it were. And I thought, oh my gosh, it hit me like a ton of bricks, Danielle. I was like, this is how I've approached my leadership journey. I had to learn to lead myself before I could learn to lead others, and then teams of people and then entire organizations, and then bring that leadership out into the world. So that became the framework that's now the basis of the book that I have, expand the circle. So if you can expand the circle of compassion in a a meditative sense, contemplative sense, can we expand the circle of leadership? And the answer turned out to be yes. So the transformation that I've seen when teaching this framework to other leaders is a grounding effect of being able to find what's real, that bedrock of meaning in in our lives and find that true inner strength and power and being able to do two things, which is to turn down the volume on our own self-interest right? We need a little bit of self-interest, but then beyond a certain amount, we don't, and turn up the volume on interest in others' welfare and in the mission itself and all these types of things. So there's there's a lot of timeless principles that were inspired in this framework. And the more I researched it, the more I found that there are Western psychology studies about things like empathy and cooperation and cohesion that uh, have absolutely proven that these techniques work. So to me, it's this really nice combination of 2,500-year-old philosophy melded with modern, modern psychology that gives us a leadership framework that's elegant and simple, but powerful.
0: Oh, I love that. I love the sound of that. Yeah, it's it's almost poetic. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Now, there's a lot of people, uh, that's why I'm just so happy to have you on today. A lot of people want to see the need for change. Um, You know, a lot of uh, supervisors and, and CEOs want to make that change but I don't know they get overwhelmed with everything when they start looking at it as a bigger picture. Uh, do you have like a tip or some kind of advice or wisdom that you could share with us the where they could start the one little thing that they could start doing today that will lead uh, their team into a positive direction?
1: Yeah I, I always want to begin at the at the beginning and to me it all starts with self-awareness where leaders lack self-awareness nothing good can follow. Mm-hmm. So it really starts with that that sort of awareness of, What's important to me? What do I value? What are my strengths? What are areas where there are gaps in my game? Nobody's perfect. I have yet to meet the perfect leader. I know thousands of leaders. I have yet to meet the perfect leader. But after awareness comes, and a lot of people think they're self-aware, but they're actually not as aware as they might like to believe. But um, when you do the hard work of self-awareness and you get yourself to a quiet place and you really are honest with yourself, you're going to surface some things that you don't love. You just don't. And that's okay. And so the second sort of step when leading yourself that I talk about is acceptance. Can you show yourself the grace and the compassion to not be perfect? Can you not you know, put all that pressure on yourself? And can you learn to even celebrate some things that you may instinctively try to hide away from the world? But the reality is when we do that, we fragment this natural part of who we are generally speaking. And so I feel like the very first, uh, the hardest work that a leader has to do first is work on themselves. And unfortunately, when I work with leaders of all shapes and sizes and all types of organizations, that's where most leaders need to begin. They haven't done Mm -hmm. the hard work on themselves, yet they're in charge of hundreds of people who report to them. But it's a very brittle foundation, a very weak foundation if they haven't done that hard work on themselves. So that's where I recommend beginning.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I, I find in the old ways, it used to say separate self from business, you know, personal and business, but they kind of roll not into anymore. each other. Sometimes they get triggered and then the, yeah. it's hard to separate both. So, yeah, that's a good it's, point. It's usually.
1: amazing. It's a great observation, too, because I think that that type of separation actually does damage to us, mm-hmm. not only in terms of not showing up like, well, there's the weekend me and then there's the work me. Well, why? Hold on. I understand we're not going to ever 100% be the same. We're not going to show up to work in our pajamas. But I do think that uh, that we would do better to try to reduce the impression management and try to be more naturally ourselves in all domains. Right. The other thing is that the work itself, we feel like, well, there's the work and then there's the people or or that's, you know, uh, uh, somebody who works as a coworker, a peer of mine. And then there's me. There's a lot more connection going on at a subliminal level than we really often realize. We're much more connected. And so the way that the the positivity, the gratitude that we can cultivate within ourselves can show up in ways that we can never really even convey, but it is being conveyed. You know, we're always... Below the surface, there's a lot of dialogue happening between any two people in a working situation. So that's where I feel like the the nature of of the connectivity and, and that is is it's there. So we might as well you know learn about ourselves, develop the wisdom, and and develop that type of a, of a positive mindset because it's going to show up in the work.
0: It's going to yeah. show up in the work. And I think the team appreciates that as well when you show uh, not necessarily your vulnerability, but when you're transparent with them, then say, "You know what that's not my strong point, but you're really good at this, so let's work together yeah, and can you can you give me your feedback it, it just really motivates the team to
1: it does to open up to the- you. And I found that the more I'm willing to make myself vulnerable, the stronger the connection is that I have with those around me. And Mm -hmm. it encourages them to be vulnerable too, to the extent they're comfortable with that, in which case it can deepen their own awareness and their own relationship. And what do you think happens then to their being and their belonging, right? It goes up. So the techniques that we talk about um, are not foreign to us. We do them very naturally in in certain circles, but we don't do them when we come to work. Why? Why? Why do we not break these things down and understand that, you know, we can be informed by these, these ancient uh, wisdom practices, and we can just make ourselves willing to avail ourselves of these outdated beliefs and these outdated attitudes. And that's when I talk about, you know, I use a phrase in my book, enlightened leadership. I don't mean enlightened in the Buddhist sense. I mean, enlightened in the sense that we're willing to take on new beliefs and new attitudes that are more timely. And more necessary than ever, because that's where we can reduce suffering in the workplace. And the best, not the best, but the natural byproduct is the work actually gets better too. That's the part yeah. that people feel like, well, if we, do, if we take our attention away from the technical bits of work, the work won't get done. If we just do all this woo-woo, huggy people stuff, you're like, <laughs> no, actually it's the reverse. If we take care of the people and we position them well, and we're honest with them and we set them up to succeed, the work is naturally going to get better. But it's a big leap <laughs> of faith that many leaders and many managers have not made and will not make. And that's going to hold us yeah. back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't. It has shown, for, especially for people who started working from from home, uh, a lot of people would, were in the beginning worried that uh, it would affect productivity because now there's all these distractions. People wouldn't take their works. And it and- the stats are there that there's, it's actually quite the opposite. There's yeah. been uh, people that are actually more productive when they're working from home. So uh, yeah, take that leap of faith, get it done and, and work at what works with your team. It doesn't, it, there's no cookie cutter way of doing it. You just do it with yeah. what, what works with your team. But it also highlights one of the most
1: uh, surprising findings that I had in my work. I saw this one nefarious thing show up time and again in the research that I was doing. And it's certainly in my personal experience. And that was fear fear (laughs) destroys everything good in relationships and in organizations. And so when you think about like, Oh, we're going to send our people home. What what are they going to be doing all day? What what if, how's the work going to get done? Like they're absolutely going to take advantage of the situation. You're like, that is all coming from a place of fear and, and smallness and, and sort of the darkness. But if you say instead of the, the opposite of fear, isn't courage, it's love. And so if we if we look at our people with the sort of loving kindness and and the loving attention and say, boy, when you work from home, you're going to be able to put your kids on the bus, you're going to feel like, you know, you're supported, like you're you're you can have a whole life and not just sort of have to sit in 45 minutes of traffic. You're, you're going to show up that much better for your not just your family, but for us here as well. And yeah, we're going to make some adjustments and it's not going to be ideal in some ways, but you're going to be better for it. And you're, you're going to have that much more capacity to give, not only to your work, because you're doing work you love. You just had this lifestyle situation that was kind of making it not so much fun to come to work. Like yeah. when we respond with that, all of a sudden there's this compounding effect. So when we move from fear and that sort of me me me, and we go to we <laughs> we we, and we we start to you know talk about looking at people and love is a funny term to use in business, but I wish it weren't. Um, then all of a sudden, great, absolutely great things can and have happened. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I like that you mentioned that that love love uh, you know a lot of people don't want to use that word and but there's so many different types of love and, and then different kind the way it shows up so yeah there's there's got to be some kind of appreciation and, and mutual respect amongst the, the people so that that's what needs to change and I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> now yeah um, I could talk to you all day, honestly. I have so many questions for my own personal interest that I'm going to try to stay focused here. Uh, Is there any advice or wisdom you wish you would have had sooner uh, to make your life easier? Is there something that you'd like to share with us?
1: I have a keyword for this year. I'm one of those guys. (laughs) I like to have a keyword for my year. And if it had been my keyword back when I was just starting out, I think the trajectory of my life would have been, I'm not going to say it's better, but could have been different. And that Mm -hmm. is enough you are enough i have been a validation seeker i have piled up accomplishments after the marine corps after the phd completing ironman triathlon i could shovel as many accomplishments as i could into that hole in the ground and it would never be filled but when i slowed down and i started to reconnect with these wisdom practices and realize i am whole and i am enough and i do enough and all and i'm worthy of all these things boy it's just been So much lighter, I'm better. I I show up better for my people at work and my family and people out in the in the world. Uh, That's definitely a piece of advice: is that we feel like there's something missing, and that if only we get that title, if only we get the get the promotion, the raise, if only we make a certain amount of money, if only only and we defer our happiness, and it just comes from a place that can't be satiated. So if uh, if that resonates with anybody out there, please borrow my keyword. You are enough. Yeah, you know, and and uh, y- you can't really control what the universe has in store for you per se. You can stack the deck as best you can, but um, <laughs> but it doesn't make you enough when you pile on these achievements. I- I'm very proud of my achievements, but at the same time. I now appreciate them differently than I did in the past. They weren't designed to complete me. I was never incomplete. Um, and if anything, I've given myself permission to be whole and to sort of allow that energy to more naturally flow through me instead of fragmenting it and saying, well, oh yeah, but I'm not this, or I don't have this title, or I don't, you know, I haven't done this yet. You know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I put all that stuff to the side.
0: Yeah, that's a word uh, that saved me too. That that I am enough, and the, the disease to please just kind of tapered down, and you, you do feel lighter. You do yeah. feel like the weight of the world is off your shoulders. And uh, I work, it... yeah, I work with children a lot, where and families where they put the focus less on achievements. Uh, you know, people will gradually children get attention when they've done something to adults expectations so if we move away from that and just focus on how they got there and the, their own self-improvement and and you know pushing themselves to where they are comfortable with as opposed to what they've accomplished yeah. it, uh, it it saves a whole generation that grief of having to fill that hole because you're just digging deeper hole I'm as you go along hole. And, and a lot yeah. of people will
1: probably ask the question like "Well, what do i do then how do i well, you know, I need something. How do I know? How do I get feedback? And I would say that one thing that I've also learned as I've gone kind of gone through this is I've learned to follow the energy. Where I have good energy in an activity at work or an interaction or whatever it might be, uh, only good things come of that. So, so being aware of of you know where that good energy comes from is important, but also taking advantage and learning you know sort of how you're wired. I found, for example, in the process of writing the book, I can do my best writing in the morning when I have to do creative writing, like blank page, get some words down kind of writing, but I don't do my best research in the morning, it kind of squanders that creative energy. So I would find that actually when the workday was over, I could sit down and have Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune on the TV and do my research that I could do. I still had that part of my brain was still working. So yeah. following the energy and stacking your day so that if you, you you can rise early in the morning, if you're into that, like then you could have that kind of energy and have the quiet space to do certain types of work. If you need to work out in the middle of the day to re-energize, like... Follow energy. Energy is sort of a signal that, that things are either in need, if you feel depleted, or that things are like really exciting to you. And it may not always be exciting. Like you may not always be into this type of a project at work, but if you are, feed that, feed the energy, follow the energy. That's that's another piece of advice I could have used <laughs> probably about twenty
0: years. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Especially when you take on a project, you feel like once you get into it, you need to to keep going until it's done. But that usually can. Um, lead to negative results. So, so I like that idea. That yeah, that's a good point. I really like that. Um, how do you? Because um, you're a busy man. How do you find balance between life, family, work, uh, you know, health, all of that? What do you? Uh, what do you do to keep that balance?
1: Yeah, I, I think I used to struggle with it more because I tried to. I tried to seek balance as you're describing it. And what I've learned is that. It's not possible to really achieve balance, in my opinion, because balance makes it seem like everything is equally weighted and that's kind of gives you that equilibrium. But the reality is sometimes I find that if I'm flexible, I'd rather be flexible than balanced and flexible means that, for example, if um, let's say that uh, kids are wanting to go on a vacation, they've got a school break. I'm going to go heavy into family mode at that point and I'm gonna go a little lighter on some things necessarily like work. But when that's done, I might go through a period where I'm heavy on work and a little bit lighter on on family or on health even, if it's like a big project for two weeks and I can really lean into it. Um, but then if you're constantly saying to yourself, oh, I'm I'm, I'm out of balance. I should be spending more time with my family, or I should be spending more time at work or should be spending, you know, I shouldn't be out of shape like I am. Well, all those shoulds, you know, are going to pile up. And, and it's not possible to really check all the boxes at once all the time. Nobody has that much capacity or energy. So to me, it's not about trying to maintain this fictitious state of balance, as much as it's, sort of seeking on average to be balanced, but to follow the sort of depth of what I need to be focused on at any given time and to be flexible enough and accepting enough of my own limitations, to be honest with you, to be like, my kids are okay. If I spend some time at work, as long as, you know, it doesn't get out of balance and, and, uh, I'm inflexible when it comes to them because I'm like, oh, I'll work all the time. That wouldn't, that wouldn't, uh, be as good.
0: All right. I like that. I'm going to use that word now. Flexibility there has got to be a fluidity because. It- throughout the year things change as well so the yeah. amount of time that you focus on one thing will not be the same in a couple of months so it's it's important to keep that flexible when you think about like the opposite
1: that. of being flexible is being like rigid and and feels yeah. very tight and very brittle like that, that's not yeah. really good in a world that is throwing a surprise after surprise after surprise it's like Hey, pandemic. Hey, remote work. Hey, have some economic headwinds. Okay. Oh man, I guess we'll deal with this now. Who knows what's around the corner. So being flexible is like almost like you think mind like water, right? So yeah. if we can be a little fluid and flexible and also communicate. Like if I say to the kids, look, I'm going to go through a very busy two weeks because I have a deadline You know, can you help me out in these ways and make them a part of it? They'll go there with you. It's when you don't communicate and you're rigid and they're bearing the brunt of that. You're no fun to be around. Yeah. They're going to be like, forget you.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Especially as they get older. (laughs) They get verbal too.
1: They do. They certainly do. Yeah.
0: Now this is where I, I, I... I've been waiting to ask you this question. Let's talk about your book and anything else that you got working on. Can you uh, tell us a little bit what's going on? Yeah, it's and, all, book, uh,
1: all book all the time right now. I think um, I'm very excited about it. Expand the Circle, enlighten Leadership for Our New World of Work comes out in March and uh, it's it's been such a journey for me I, i've really enjoyed sitting down getting still getting quiet listening to sort of what would emerge and it was a chance to reflect over the course of of my leadership journey and realizing that despite military service despite 20 years of you know working world experience leading teams and despite studying leadership at the phd level i still hit my limit because i denied the fact there's this ancient wisdom and these these sort of traditions that have known for a long time exactly what we're going through because at some level it's human nature you know it, it, humans have not changed that much in 2500 years um even though our circumstances have changed dramatically at our core you know we still struggle with some of the same same uh, ego related issues so uh, to me it was a chance to sit down and say okay that's fine i i love these ancient traditions, but we had to reconcile them with Western psychology you know and, and so I have over a hundred research studies that I cite in the in the book because there it was important to me to ground it in Western science as much as I did uh, have it be inspired by yeah, Eastern philosophy admittedly. Yeah. So the book will come out and I'm very excited to think that we have a chance to, you know i like to say liberate leaders from these outdated beliefs that are keeping us really you know chained to these these poor practices and and just creating suffering among our people and the business results suffer too as a result so no matter which one you're into you know it's it's the better way of of being in the world of work
0: that's amazing. I love it. I can't wait to see it, and that's definitely a book that needs to be in every business, in every home, and <laughs> in every school to get it uh, to get the movement started. That's amazing. That's, so I expect it was. It was absolutely one of my favorite things. Is that you know,
1: admittedly, I I do focus on the world of work a lot, and I talk about how to lead yourself in a work context, how to lead you, how to lead others. Like one other person could be a peer, could be a coworker, could be a direct report, uh, how to lead your team, how to lead your organization. But when I get into how to lead in the world, I think this is an overlooked area where the experiences we have at work don't have to stay at work. They don't have to be confined there. You can bring leadership techniques home to your family. You can bring them into your community. I talk about society I talk about the planet and I talk about beyond things that are even beyond our own understanding. How do you show up as a leader in those domains? It's absolutely possible um, using the the types of techniques that we know how to do. We just need to remind ourselves in some cases to do them.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we need to approach now because with this new world, um, we were talking about this with a some clients that I'm working with where every child now at some point in their life is going to be meeting people from across the world in that boardroom, whether it's virtual or, or, you know, uh, in in real person, uh, there is that connection to the entire world. Now the world is open to everybody. You don't just stay in your district or your community, you're everywhere. So having to be able to transfer those skills into an international thing is important and needs to start somewhere.
1: It's true, and, and I, I'm very hopeful when I look at the the next generation of leaders, and, and they may be in grade school right now. Let's say, the level of of um, of discourse that they have, they're very vocal about how they're feeling and and what they want and expect. In a way that you know, I'm Gen X, and we didn't have that. We we just went to work and did what we were told. Um, I I think that that's great. The level of inclusivity that they just naturally expect and are are growing up with their their fluency with technology, all these things are great but the deck is also stacked against them. The levels of anxiety in Gen Z are completely off the charts. And the the nature of the challenges that they're facing right now with the outdated organizational mindset and some of what we're teaching them is going to lead them to have broken experiences when they need wholeness and, and whole experiences. So at the same time that I'm I'm hopeful, I do recognize that we have to make a change. We have to evolve the way we approach our work and definitely as leaders at every level, we have to approach the, the way, we have to change the way we approach our leadership for this to work. But I think there's so much going for the next generation. Um, we have to help them, though. We absolutely have yeah. to help them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love it. And that's a message that needs to be out there. So thank you so much for sharing that. And that book is going to be uh, going to do some great work for, for that in particular. Yeah. Now, before we go like I said, I could talk to you all day. Uh, but uh, before we wrap it up, I always ask this question to my guests. That's uh, one of a personal question of mine, a promise that I made a little girl. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up?
1: I almost hope I never grow up. I'd, I'd actually like <laughs> to be more childlike. I love watching yeah. children who have no fear of being judged or if they're going to be bad at trying something first time they pick up a tennis racket they don't care if they miss the tennis ball like there's no shame yeah. they're just if they enjoy it they do it when they get tired of it they throw it down and walk away <laughs> i want to be a kid when i grow up i've been an adult from the time i was <laughs> born and i want to go back to that carefree sort of yes. just let all that baggage go and uh so i hope to be a child when i grow up
0: <laughs> oh i love that i want to be a child when i grow up
1: <laughs> i, yeah. love it. I, I have, forgot I always- I forgot yeah. at a young age how to be a child and I'd like to be a child yeah. when I grow up.
0: Yeah. I think that was part of our reality as Gen X is uh, we had to grow up fast. <laughs> yeah. so we could, I love it. I love that. Yes, absolutely. I want to be a child when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. I, uh, I just appreciate everything that you do. I love the work that you do. Yeah. I, before we go, can you kind of let us know how people can follow you, uh, if they want to work with you, if they want to update on your book that's coming out soon, where yes. can they follow you and how can they reach you?
1: Absolutely. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, everything about me at mattpepsil.com. And if you want to learn about the book specifically, mattpepsil.com circle, you'll have all the latest, including a lot of extras. And you can see if it's a good fit for your next leadership style.
0: That's amazing. And I will add that to the description of this episode in the comments as well. So anybody can uh, can follow you. Thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, It's it's a breath of fresh air to see that, you know, people are seeing the importance of expanding your circle. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Danielle. I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Excellent. (laughs) For everybody watching, again, thank you so much. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow to whichever channel you're listening or watching from. And until next time, stay safe, stay awesome, and we'll talk soon.